In each decade of director Paulette Randall's career, she has made significant contributions to British theatre and television. The 80s saw Paulette, alongside fellow Rose Bruford graduates Bernadine Evaristo and Patricia Hilaire, founding the Theatre of Black Women. In the 90s, Paulette started working in TV, producing the much-loved series Desmond's, The Real McCoy and Pork Pie. Meanwhile, in theatre, Paulette directed The Piano Lesson, the first out of the four August Wilson plays that she has tackled so far in her career, which earned her exclusive permission from Wilson to stage his plays in England. The 2000s saw Paulette become artistic director of Tallaworth Theatre Company, and in the 2010s, Paulette was associate director for the opening ceremony of the London 2012 Olympics, and with her production of August Wilson's Fences, starring Lenny Henry, became the first Black British woman to direct a play in London's West End. And Paulette's work hasn't slowed down in recent years. This June, Paulette will be making her Hampstead Theatre debut as she directs a production of Roy Williams's new play, The Fellowship. The play follows sisters Dawn and Marsha Adams, who grew up in 1980s London as activists on the front line, but decades on find they have little in common beyond family. Paulette, welcome to TVV Talks. Hi. Hi. How are you? How is everything going? Um, I'm great and rehearsals are going beautifully. We've got an amazing cast and um, we've also, we're the second week of rehearsals and we've had Roy in the room with us. Uh, for the last two weeks as well which has just been brilliant oh amazing amazing well yeah there's so much I want to talk to you about like looking at your career it's insane the the (laughs) you've achieved so I'm really excited to talk to you specifically about the fellowship but also have a couple of things um just generally that I'd really like to discuss with you okay so let's start at the beginning is it true that the only reason you went to drama school was to win a five pound bet? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I didn't, um, a friend saw uh, an advert for Rose Bruford mm-hmm. and she thought, oh, that sounds like um, something that you could do. It was the community theatre arts course. Um, and so I read it and I thought, yeah, it sounds all right. I couldn't decide. I, I just didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. You know, I was... Um, doing that thing of, well, I want to work with people and I want to do, what is that? You know, so anyway, um, this friend of mine, Linda said, there's this course, why don't you try it? And I'm like, mm, yeah, maybe, maybe. She said, I bet you're five and you don't apply. And I thought, this is going to be easy because I don't have to commit to anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, all right, then you're on. So I applied. The only drama school that I applied for mm. and got in and got my fiver. <laughs> yeah. What was your understanding of theatre before you went to drama school? Because I read in a Guardian interview that you were talking about how working at Brixton Market was actually your first real understanding of theatre. In a funny sort of way, yeah, because, you know, I saw people and life and and stories being kind of acted out because Saturdays were the days when, um, you know, people would come out, yes, to do their shopping, but then they would meet, you know, neighbours or friends or they'd go with family and stuff and you got to know customers and you got to know a bit about their lives. And also people weren't really, uh, arguments used to happen as well. You know, people would get into rows or fights and stuff. And it was just like, this is so alive. But really in terms of traditional theater, um, oh, sorry, the other thing is that, um, of course I thought that my family were more entertaining than the telly. You know, (laughs) Sunday when aunts and uncles used to come around and they'd start talking and reminiscing and stuff like that. 
and they were very animated. And so I just thought, this is fabulous, I love this. But in terms of real kind of regular theater, um, we did stuff at school. One of my teachers at my primary school was um, Mr. Beach, was uh, part of an amateur dramatic society that did stuff at the old fire station in West Norwood. And mm -hmm. so I'd been to see him in a play. And as I said, you know, we did um, nativity plays and we did country dancing and, you know, displays and things like that. So the idea of theatre wasn't completely alien, but it wasn't something that I really thought was going to be for me. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then what was the community theatre arts course like at Rose Bruford? Because I understand it was about kind of encouraging you to create your own theatre companies and have a bit more of a social um, attitude with your theatre? Totally, totally. So it was rooted in the idea of creating theatre that was for or about specific communities of your choice, you know. So that meant that you had the freedom to um, play around with ideas um, and devising stuff as well. So it wasn't all text-based. So that was great. It was really liberating and quite exciting. The idea that you could make up a story that would then become a play, that would then be performed, that would then be seen, that would then hopefully affect people in some way. Um, so, yeah. Do you think it particularly informed how you've approached creating theatre throughout your career at all? Without a doubt, yeah. Yeah, because it's not just about... Um, it's never just about putting on a show, you know, it's, it's about the responsibility that I feel towards my cast, my company, and ultimately my audience. Mm -hmm. um, so then when you graduated Rose Bruford, you founded the Theatre of Black Women, yeah. which I feel like I found out about mainly when um, Bernadine Evaristo kind of shot into the public consciousness with girl yeah. women other um yeah what was that like oh it was amazing because again it was that thing of having spent three years at rose bruford and thinking about what kinds of theater we wanted to be involved with it was that decision of well it, there's nothing out there that we necessarily want to be part of so let's create our own mm -hmm. and we felt and empowered to do that because we'd spent three years in a way kind of leading towards that so it just made sense really more than anything else and within the company were you directing or were you doing other things as well so we were writing and performing our own work so we got we did do um we got invited to amsterdam to take part in the international women's festival of theater and uh we got a director in just to kind of help us shape that and have a much more objective vibe, but no, we were busy writing and performing our own stuff, really. And then I uh, left because I felt that I wanted to do something else, do directing. Mm -hmm. um, and I needed to get trained. So, I mean, I, I don't, yeah, that was, anyway, that was the decision that I made, that I needed to go away and get trained. So I did. Yeah, I also read that the theatre of black women was kind of forced to disband because of Arts Council funding being being stopped um, and kind of noticed a parallel with when you were working at Talawa that there were problems with Arts Council funding. Obviously now it's a 
um, National Portfolio Organization. But I just wanted to use that as kind of an opportunity to talk about um, funding for uh, Black British theatre. Like, do you think that there is enough funding nowadays um, from arts organizations and theatres going towards Black British theatre? Gosh, I've been out of the loop in that respect for um, quite a while. Um, so I don't know, you know, I'm in danger of um, just kind of remembering that, you know, back in the 80s, there were so many uh, Black and Asian theatre companies that it seemed um, that are no longer here. And I don't know if that is just a natural progression of growth. It kind of feels like um, that maybe, you know, people are now being employed in other theatres. So maybe the need isn't there anymore. I don't really know. Um, I'd really have to think about that. I don't know, because for me, it was really important to have those companies because we weren't getting our work put on elsewhere, but that's changing, you know? So I don't know if it's part of that, the general change that now people are going, oh no, we can actually put their plays on in our theatres. So we don't have to have a little um, community theatre, you know, doing shows up and down the country in a little hall somewhere. That feels positive. But then on the other hand, does that mean that the foundation growth of what we do has now gone? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's a really interesting question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it is interesting comparing um, like what has changed since the 80s. I mean, obviously there's a lot more it's a, it's a nuanced conversation to be had, but yeah, it is. Also, I'd like to do a little bit of research, actually, just to find out what the figures are and what the facts are at the moment. But what was it like for you in the 80s then? Because obviously I, I don't know what it was like in the theatre uh, sort of economy in the 80s. What was the kind of general feeling with all of these Black and Asian theatre companies that were around? Well, you felt, for one, you felt supported and you felt as though um, they valued what, you had the stories that you wanted to tell. You know, we had the Greater London Arts who were really supportive. Ken Livingston was, you know, at County Hall. There were, you know, it was a really positive, proactive time for disaffected voices to be heard and they were encouraged and supported. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That was an exciting time. Yeah, yeah. It allowed us to, to grow and develop and nurture ourselves and other people and just get better at your craft you know as well on top of you know all the other stuff and obviously you've gone on to achieve some monumental things like I said in the introduction do you kind of see that your peers from the 80s like have kind of also been able to progress in that way I think it's really hard because um to keep going and sustain yourself in this industry is tough you know, you really don't earn a living wage when you do theatre, you just don't. So it's almost like, well, you have to be able to afford to do what you love. So it's really hard. So in a way, um, the fact that I've bridged, um, I've crossed another bridge into TV and stuff kind of helps to finance me in a way to do theatre. So if you don't get that opportunity to try your hand at something else, then it becomes almost impossible to sustain any kind of living. So I know that we've lost some folk by the wayside just simply because you just can't, you just can't keep going. 
I used to say to people, oh God, you know, I, I remember my dad, who's dead now, but I remember saying to him, daddy, listen, you're gonna have to help me with my tax this year because I haven't got the money to pay. And he used to say to him, I'm gonna be dead one of these days. What are you gonna do? Oh, I don't know, but in the meantime, can you just write the check please? Because and I learned very, very quickly to have no shame in asking for things, whether it was food, money from my dad, um, you know, or whatever, because the passion and the desire to do what I do was so great that I thought I've just got to find a way of doing it, but it's tough. It's really tough. You say that TV has been important for um, allowing you to kind of sustain yourself financially. Would you say comparatively TV compared to theatre in terms of investing in black British talent? Do you, do you see any difference between the two or do you think it's fairly similar, the landscapes for both? Oh gosh, um, it's interesting because already, you know, if you look at my um, CV of what I've done in telly, it's predominantly black, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. going back to the beginning, which was um, the McCoy. I went in as an associate producer, I think. It was whatever, you know, required. So it was working with scripts, it was working with the actors, it was doing a bit of everything. Theatre and telly, ask me the question again. Comparatively, do you think black British talent working in television are being invested in enough? I've started to see a change now. I think that there was a time where certain people like Lenny Henry, for example, you know, he was really behind the real McCoy, instrumental people in making sure that that happened. That's a lot of pressure on one person to try and change a whole industry. But things are beginning to change. I've seen that. And it's behind the scenes as well because we've always kind of had a bit of a presence on screen, but that's improving. And it's what's happening behind the screen now that is changing, but we've still got a way to go. Oh yeah, we're not there yet. Okay. Does that no. answer your question? Yeah, no, definitely. It's, it's been very interesting hearing your thoughts because if you have so much experience to build on. So yeah, yeah it, is, it is very interesting. Um, the fellowship. Yeah. So in your own words, what is the play about? Ultimately for me, it's about being allowed to be who I am. And it's, yes, it's looking at it, you know, through the, um, the prism of these two sisters and their lives and their legacy. And also what, yeah. So it's exploring the whole thing about legacy. What does that mean? But actually, ultimately it's about, okay, when I read it, I was like, oh my God, this is so needed. This is so... Oh, people are in for a treat because the question of, you know, being black, being female, being British, all of those things that we've all grown up with, you know, especially those of us that were born here or that came at a very early age. All of these questions, you know, when people say, where are you from? Where are you really from? You know, all of that stuff and actually being able to go, this is who I am and being proud of that. And for me, I think that's the... That's the important cut. message, if you like. I don't know. Statement, testimony. It's got so much more than that in it, but that ultimately is um, what it does for me. So Dawn and Marsha Adams from The Blurb, they grew up in 1980s London. Yeah. Uh, which is also when your career started taking off. So do you yeah, see parallels? Well, I was still pursuing my career. I'm still doing oh, it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but do you see any parallels between yourself and the characters? Well, I've got a sister, um, Beverly, and uh, I think, um, yeah, of course there are, because you kind of, if you, someone looks a bit like you, 
um, you kind of start to draw parallels anyway. You can't help it, right? But in terms of uh, their politics, um, politics were a really important part of my life, still are. So I remember way back, before I started drama school, there was um, the Anti-Nazi League. And uh, there was an offshoot of that called School Kids Against Nazis. And I remember at school, we were all kind of going, yeah, we want to be part of that. We want to be able to say something and we want to be able to make a change. So the idea of politics, even though, you know, it wasn't kind of seen as a big P necessarily, but it was always there. And also, you know, my parents, um, I was able to vote for the first time in 1979. And it was really, really interesting because that was of course the year that Margaret Thatcher got in. So there was a the whole question of, do you support this woman because it's a woman? Or do you go with the politics of the party that you agree with? So you had to start having that debate with yourself anyway, and with my parents and my friends and whoever else was uh, at the same kind of crossroads. So, and yeah, you, so I guess that there are parallels with those sisters because of their involvement in politics in their own way. Um, they were doing it within their community. And I was kind of discovering and exploring being at drama school and still living my life, but it was it was very different. Yeah, but there are parallels, of course, yeah. Yeah. And what attracts you to directing the play? You've kind of already said what it is that the play speaks to you about. Yeah. Is there anything more that attracts you to it? What attracts me to any play is the possibility of getting better at what I do. Also, I'm a storyteller, you know, so anything that's going to allow me to tell a story and hopefully move an audience, that hasn't changed. That's always been the case. And all I do now is just try and get better and better at what I do. But it's still the same. I still want to move people. I want to, yeah, I want to be able to move and touch people in some way. Are there any elements of the play that you found difficult to direct? It's always hard because, you know, you start every play um, fresh and new and, and Roy's an extraordinary writer. And so you really have to try and get into his head, the way that he speaks, the way that he, he tells a story and how hopefully enhance that and make that clear for the audience. So it's always tough. It's always tough. I get so nervous before the first day of rehearsals, excited as well, but really nervous because you think, oh gosh, I hope I've got an angle on this that's going to be clear for the cast for, you know, and then ultimately the audience. But yeah, so no, it's just hard. It's really hard. It's very refreshing to hear someone with as many excellent credits as you have saying that their job is hard. <laughs> it's because the thing that makes it seem, uh, I guess, easier is because I absolutely love what I do and I wouldn't want to do anything else. But it's hard mm-hmm. because, you know, you've got to get it right and honour the writer. You know, whoever the writer is, it's because uh, they're the first voice, you know, that you hear. So, yes, it's a, yeah, it's a huge responsibility, put it that way, that I never, ever want to take for granted. So, I mean, bringing up the writer, I wanted to ask you about your relationship with writers. I mean, mainly because I found that thing about August Wilson just crazy. The great August Wilson. Saying... I know, right? <laughs> I know, I couldn't believe it. So I'd done the piano lesson and then, uh, and I went to meet him and that was, I've told this story before, but you won't mind me saying it again. So I had managed to not see any of his work that had been done in London. I went to New York to meet him and I, I wouldn't even sit down. I was standing up and I said to him, I've just got to say something before we start, Mr. Wilson. 
I said, I've never seen any of your work and I haven't read any of your other plays. I've read this one and I love it. <sighs> said it. And he looked at me and then he leaned forward and he said, I don't go to the theatre much myself. And I thought, I'm in love. I, this man is just incredible. You know, all the time I was thinking, Tony Award winning, Pulitzer Prize winning writer, Pulitzer, what are you doing? But that level of honesty, I think, was the thing that, um, that did it for us. So that was the beginning of a, a great friendship and a great relationship. So when we came to do um, Two Trains Running and, you know, ask again for the rights to do it, he was like, listen, you can do any of my work as long as it's Paulette. I can't believe this! Can't believe this. I mean, how extraordinary, but yeah. also how wonderful and um, and amazing. Well, of course, that's all changed now that he's died. But um, yeah, up until he died, yes, I was the only one. Which <laughs> <laughs> is just amazing. And thank you, August. You know, thank you for the faith, trust, and and love. And then, I mean, Roy Williams also is this fantastic, prolific British yeah. writer. Um. <gasps> So, yeah and how so you've said that he's in the rehearsal room firstly yeah. what's that like has that been easier for you to kind of honor the writer like you said it's really important when it's a new piece of work that the writer's there it's crucial because it's the first time that it's going to be seen you know hopefully it will go on to have a life and other people will pick it up and do it so this is the time for the writer to get it as close to what they imagined obviously giving you space and room to um, add your tuppence worth as well. But it's, it's really important for them to be there. It's crucial, really. But I like having writers in the room. So, you know, August was never available to come and sit. Well, also, you know, the plays have been done before. He didn't need to come and sit and listen to this British version of what, he was gonna, what he's doing. But yes, I think it's really important if the writers alive have them in the room. It can only enhance what you're doing. And that must be nice for the writers as well to feel like they have a director who is being so attentive to what they want the play to be as well. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all in the pursuit of getting it right, you know, yeah. and um, and making sure there's clarity and there's. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Just yeah, getting it right. In terms of Roy Williams's work, how familiar were were you with his work before the fellowship? Was it an August Wilson situation where you'd read nothing else? No, about? no, no, no. I was a bit better with Roy. I'd seen um, quite a bit. I think the No Boys Cricket Club might have been one of the first ones that I remember really clearly. Um, but we've worked together before, so we've done uh, Cat B, that was at the Tricycle, then Tricycle, now the Kiln. And then we did um, Angel House, another one of his plays that we toured. So do you have a favourite Roy Williams play? Is it one of those two? It's a fellowship right now. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. And how did directing this play in particular then come about? You've already worked with him before. Did he ask you to take on the fellowship as well? Yes, he did. And I was blown away when he said... I think this one is is for you, Paulette, this one, you know, what a fabulous um, amount of faith and trust uh, that a man has, because it's, uh, it's, an, it's an extraordinary piece of writing. It's so rich, it's so powerful. I know I keep saying this, but I just want to get it so right. I just want to get it right. So having him there is perfect for me.
the way you're talking about it, I can't wait to see it. It sounds fantastic. I don't um, think there's been anything like it. So just to round things up, looking back across your career, are there any moments that you're particularly proud of? Oh, God, all of it. You know, the fact that I'm still here today and I have a career. As I said, there's been so many that we've lost through the years just simply because to sustain a life in the arts as a black person is tough. It's really tough. Uh, and if you don't diversify in some way, then it's really, really tough. It all feeds into where I am today. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't be here without all of that history. So. And then looking forward, is there anything in particular you'd still like to achieve? I, I know I saw that you're currently making a short film. So yeah. is that like new terrain um, film? Yeah, yeah. And again, you know, it's because, uh, all right, well, that gets not bored, but, you know, I like to challenge myself still and trying something new, which is kind of scary, but exciting at the same time. So I still like that buzz that you get, clearly. Um, so yeah, film, ultimately a feature film. And it might be that I just do one and go, nah, I don't really like it that much. I'd rather be in the theater. I don't know, but I haven't tried it yet. So I think it's about, you know, allowing myself to still be brave and challenge myself and go for things that are out of my comfort zone, as people say. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's, I mean, that's a, because you could, with everything you've done, just sit down and be like, oh, I've done it. I've ticked everything off, but yeah. Now, and, and every time you do a play, it's that, you know, you learn something new every time you do another show. So no, I'm loving that because that's not going away. Mm -hmm. I think if I ever felt, right, I've, um, there's nothing more for me to learn, then I would stop. Yeah. But that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It just simply won't. Yeah. Okay, cool. I've got some quick fire questions for you. Oh, okay. Yep. So answer as fast as you can. Ah, okay. <laughs> Firstly, what is a book that you have to have in your collection? The Prophet. What is a song or album that defines the soundtrack of your life to date? No. Oh, uh, Songs in the Key of Life, I think. Um, uh, Catch a Fire, Bob Marley. I, yeah. Okay, a film or TV show that you can watch or have watched repeatedly? A film or TV? Oh, uh, Galaxy Quest, because it became my mum's uh, and my sister, the three of us, our favourite movie. I don't <laughs> even know how that happened, but yeah, Galaxy Quest. <laughs> okay, and um, the first stage production you saw and what it meant to you? Oh, the, well, the first play stage production I saw was my teacher, Mr Beach, in a thing called... The Station Master's Apprentice, I think it was, at the old fire station in uh, West Norwood. And what did it mean to you? No, I'd tell a lie. It wasn't that. It was still at the fire station, but it was um, the Toad of Toad Hall. <laughs> and I just thought it was so funny and bonkers. And oh um, I just remember leaving the theatre going, that was good. I liked that. Yeah. And finally, what's made you sad, mad and glad this week? Oh, God, what's made me sad this week? Yet another shooting in a school where so many babies, um, children were, were murdered. Actually, that makes me mad because I think America has got to start thinking about its gun laws and changing them because this keeps happening. It's only going to increase, I think, because of where we're at in the world and where people are. And there are so many broken people who think that that's an answer to a problem that they might have. So... That makes me sad and mad. Mm -hmm. And what makes me glad is that I'm still here. <laughs> I'm still here and I'm still doing what I love. 
Yeah. So every day is just, you know, I, I say thank you. I'm not religious, but I do say thank you. Thank you for allowing me to still be here to do what I love. No, thank you as well for this interview. It's been so illuminating. And just to finally wrap up, yeah. um, do you have any social media handles that you'd like to shout out? I don't even know what you're talking about. Social <laughs> I've got a file of facts, baby. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, so I'm that's a new <laughs> Um, okay, and then actually to finish then, um, <laughs> where can audiences catch the fellowship? Okay, so the fellowship is on at Hampstead Theatre in Swiss Cottage, and it's on from the 17th of June until the 23rd of July. So you can go to Hampstead Theatre's website and get your tickets. Amazing. Thank you very much, Paulette. You're so welcome. Thank you. I'm sorry I've been a bit...